Well, good evening and welcome back to our pastor's class here at Hickory Grove. It's joy to have you join us as we continue our study through the book of Philippians. Today we'll find ourselves in the third chapter, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to take one out and turn with me, if you will, to Philippians 3. This evening we're going to look at the first 11 verses. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Why don't you allow me to read it? We'll pray, ask God to help us, and then we'll unpack these few verses just over the next few moments together. Philippians 3 and verse 1, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, it's no trouble to me. In fact, it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we were the circumcision We're the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. You see, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You see, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, listen, I'm blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in order that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, know the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that... By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Powerful words. Why don't you join me as we pray and ask God to help us as we unpack them together. Father in heaven, I ask now that you would come and that you would speak your word to your people, that you would impress these words on my heart and these dear friends for the sake of your name and for the good of this church we love. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You know, one of the most powerful visuals of the power of conversion in all the Bible is in one of Jesus' shortest parables. There's a parable recorded in Matthew 13 and verse 44. It's just one verse. And in this small, succinct parable, Jesus visually, you could even go so far as to say poetically, captures what happens when someone comes to know Christ. It's the parable of the hidden treasure or the treasure buried in a field. And in Matthew 13 and verse 44, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man ends up finding and he covers it. But then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now the illustration is clear. He is saying that the man who previously, before ever finding this treasure, this man probably would have never conceived of selling all he has for something. 
I mean, all you have is of great value. This man loved, presumably, all he had. Until one day he came and he found this treasure buried in a field. And the treasure was so amazing, so valuable, so glorious in his sight that he was compelled to sell all that he had for the sake of getting this field. This was a transformative discovery he made. He saw this treasure and it was so precious to him, he counted everything else in his life as loss, as worthy of being sold, of given away for the gain he found in this treasure. So too, Jesus illustrates, is what happens to the heart of a man, woman, and child when they behold Jesus. When at last we taste and see Christ for who he is, we too ought to sell, so to speak, all we have. And here's what he means. We too ought to see all the gain we have as loss. We ought to see all the things of this world we treasure as as not worthy, not worthy of being compared to the treasure we have in Christ. I think what Jesus is getting at and what Paul is making abundantly clear in this text is that if you actually know God, you're going to treasure him. You know, Paul actually takes the poetry of Jesus' parable and he turns it into prose. He makes it quite clear in Philippians 3 when he illustrates that knowing Jesus, knowing Christ, is not some mere mental game. If you claim to know Christ, he is in essence, Paul and Jesus in concert are telling us, to know him is to treasure him. Or let's say it like this. To know Christ is to rejoice in Christ. Don't see those as mutually exclusive categories. To know him biblically is to rejoice in him. In other words, if you are not see, finding your joy in Christ, if you are not treasuring him as the man treasured that treasure buried in the field, biblically speaking, you, you don't really know him. I mean, don't take my word for it. Look with me, if you will, at Philippians 3. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He's not just merely saying know him. He's saying rejoice in him. And then he even kind of puts a finer point on it. And he says, now listen, I'm telling you, I've told you all this before. He says, to write the same things to you, meaning I've told you this before. I've written to you about this simple gospel truth before. But listen, it's, it's no trouble to me. He's saying, I don't mind telling you this again. In fact, he says, you need to hear this again. He says, it's safe for you to remind yourself of this simple gospel fact. Paul is saying, listen, remind yourself of this simple truth, that to know Jesus is to rejoice in him. If you don't find your joy in him, you need to take a step back and ask yourself, is he indeed your treasure? Or do you have Jesus alongside all the treasures of this world. So what Paul does in these 11 verses is he takes this category of rejoicing, treasuring Christ as true knowledge of him. He is taking this category and he breaks it in half. He basically says this, you and I, we need to know the joy of both losing everything and the joy of gaining everything. Those are the two words he uses, profits and losses, gains and losses. And he is saying to know Christ is to take joy in the fact 
that you are going to lose everything. Now, that sounds counterintuitive. I mean, how could you find joy in losing everything? Who amongst us has found joy in losing all of your worldly possessions due to a house fire? Who has ever found joy in losing a spouse you love? This is the transformative, counterintuitive logic of the gospel. Where Paul is reminding us, he is repeating what Jesus illustrated in that famed parable. He is saying, if you really know him, you are going to find a joy so deep, so countercultural, that you will actually find joy in losing everything. Paul experienced this himself. Just recall with me how Paul testified to his own conversion, his own transformation. He says, beginning in verse 4, listen, if anybody has reason to find confidence in the flesh, it's me. In other words, if anybody has reason to find joy in all the things you've earned, all the things you've gained, all the things you are, Paul is saying, listen, I should have the most of it, and yet I don't. And here's why. Paul is saying, I learned the secret of finding joy in losing everything I am. Look what he says. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Paul is giving us his pedigree, and he is saying, I am all these wonderful things. I had a great spiritual background, a great cultural background, a great place of rank in society. I did all these things, and he is saying, I count all of them as loss. And the reminder to us today is that if you know Christ, you must therefore know the joy of losing everything you are. Everything you are. Your old identity is gone. All the things you claim, all the things you know, all the things you hold dear, all the things that make you biblically disappear upon conversion. That's the illustration of baptism where we say, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. The old you is gone, the new you arises. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old is gone, he said. The new has come. The point is simply this. In Christ, everything about you changes. The old you is no more. Don't rest on the old you as the ground of your salvation. So, for example, you grew up in the church. And maybe right now that is your assurance. You're like, you listen, I went to Bible school. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized once. I just feel that my spiritual upbringing, it is what guarantees that I know him. And Paul is saying, listen, I knew him better than you. I was all these things. I was the quintessential Israelite. And yet he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul recognized that all those things he thought he knew were nothing compared to knowing Jesus himself. So just bear in mind, know the joy, my friends, of losing everything first, losing everything you are. Lay all that aside. Just find joy in the fact that the old you is gone no more. And that's good news for those of you who recognize that the old you is not exactly a good you. The good news is, it's not just the old good side of you that's no more. 
It's the old bad side of you that's gone and no more. In Christ, all of your past has been nailed to the cross. It has been paid in full. You stand before God justified. Praise be to him that the old you is no more. No, the joy of losing everything you once were. But I want you to also see the joy of losing everything you've done. Look Look with me, if you will, at verse 6 and following. He says, As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, I was under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I again counted as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Paul is saying, it's not just my pedigree that's no more. All the things I did are no more, which I I kind of already alluded to this just a moment ago. Paul is saying, the old me, all those things I did that I thought earned my way to God, they are no more. They are rubbish. They are lost now that I know Jesus. And that's a good reminder to us that everything you've done is a filthy rag before his throne of grace. So just take heart in the grace of the gospel this day, that one day you will stand before him and all the things you have done in this life, they will not be the ground upon which you stand justified. When you stand before his throne one day, you will stand with empty hands. Indeed, you will fall to your knees and you will plead the blood of Jesus as Paul will, as Paul did one day. You will stand before God and say, my only hope is Jesus Christ. All these things I've done are as rubbish. They are, as verse 7 says, they are as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Praise be to God that everything we are and everything we've done are loss before his throne of grace. And we can take heart that there is this strange countercultural, counterintuitive joy of knowing Jesus for everything we are and everything we've done don't fit into the equation. They're all gone. But what's left? What do we get? We find this weird joy in losing everything. But what do we gain? And this is the glory of the gospel. For the Apostle Paul makes clear that he found joy in losing everything because in losing everything, he gained everything. Paul is saying that the Christian life is not merely self-denial. It's not merely killjoys. It's not merely duty-bound, losing all the things that all the sinners out there seem to get to enjoy. Paul is saying when you lay down your life, when you die to self, when you give up the old you, when you stop trusting all the things you've done previously, you will experience the joy of gaining everything. Notice with me, if you will, verse 9. He says, beginning in verse 9, that I have been found rather in him. Him being Jesus. Paul is saying, all these other things are lost because now I am found in him. That is a simple way of saying this. Paul is saying, I have now gained a new identity. The old me is gone. 
And now there is a new me. And that new me is in Christ. Now that is a, I know that's not abundantly clear, but I want you to see whenever you see the language in the Bible, in Christ, in him, it is referring almost always to the simple, glorious, doctrinal idea of union with Christ. In other words, the Bible teaches quite clearly that when Christ saves us, he gives us a new identity. And our new identity is wrapped up fully in him. We are united to him so that one day when we stand before God and his throne, we will stand unified in identity with Jesus, his son. And God will look at us, the sinners that we are, and he will declare us to not be what in fact we are. He will not condemn us in that moment as rebel sinners. He will see us united to Jesus. He will see us identifying with Jesus. And he will say, you are adopted as his son. You, have, you are an heir of Christ. You are justified. You stand not under condemnation. You stand justified before me. Praise be to God that our new identity is in him. So I want you to know the joy of gaining everything. First off, you are going to gain everything you now are. You are gaining a new identity in Jesus. But let's conclude this message this uh, afternoon and let's see together that you are not just going to gain a new identity. I want you to see that you in Christ will gain everything you now need. For look, if you will, at the latter half of verse 9 and let's go all the way to verse 11. He says, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law. But you're going to have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what is he talking about here? Well, the first thing he's showing us is here's what you get when you know Jesus, when you find your joy in him, when you, you are united to him. You will stand, as I've already said, justified. You will have a righteousness before God's throne that is not your own. So we cannot stand before a holy God unless we're righteous. I am manifestly not righteous. You aren't. We are sinners. We are rebels. We will never be righteous before God. So what hope do we have? Our hope, the Bible says, is if we have before God a righteousness that comes through faith. Now, what does that mean? And how do you get a righteousness through faith? Does that mean God counts you righteous because you're a really strong Christian and you just have this great faith and he counts that faith as a really good thing? Well, to be clear, the Bible is clear, clearly teaching this. When you trust in Jesus, when you have faith in him, you are united to him and his righteousness is credited to you. We use the big theological word, imputed righteousness. The imputation of Christ's righteousness is a glorious truth that one day I will stand before God and God will not be impressed by my faith. He will not be impressed by my pastoral ministry. He will not be impressed by my faithfulness to my wife or to my fatherly instincts. He will not be impressed by any of the good things I've done with my life. 
the only thing that will make me stand justified before him is the righteousness of Jesus credited to me. That is what makes us justified. So I want you to see the glory first of justification. It's the thing you need, and it will be given you by Christ before God's throne of grace. First see everything you need you are going to get first justification through the righteousness of Jesus. But I want you to see there's another thing you need that you get in Jesus. Secondly, I want you to see that you're going to get sanctification from Jesus. Look with me, if you will, at verse 10. He says that I may know him and know the power of his resurrection and share his suffering, becoming like him. Now, how do you become like Jesus? The Bible describes the process of becoming like Jesus with the word sanctification. That's a big word that means set apart, slowly being transformed into the image of Jesus. The Bible gives no category for a Christian that's not growing. The Bible offers no assurance for somebody who's not being sanctified. The Bible says that if you are sanctified, you will, if you are justified, I should say, you will be sanctified. If God saves you, he will change you slowly but surely. So in Christ, you are slowly becoming more and more like him. So take heart. Christ is making possible that which is impossible on your own. He is transforming you into his image day by day. And he does so through the word, through prayer, through accountability of friends. He is changing you daily. You should look back and see Is your life different today than it was a year ago? Now, you may be wondering, what differences should I be looking for? Beware. Don't think that what you'll find is a greater sense of holiness. In fact, the longer I walk with the Lord, the less holy I feel. Now, here's why. Because the more I get to know God, the more I treasure Jesus, the more glorious I see him to be. And the more sinful I see myself to be. So every year I read through this Bible, and I've been doing so for my word nearly 20 years. Every year I read through this Bible, the more I see myself to be a sinner, and the more I see him to be a magnificent Savior. And there is a greater chasm in my judgment the more I get to know him. But that is actually evidence of growing holiness. For a holy person is a one who sees God more clearly to be who he is and sees himself, herself to be more clearly who they in fact are. So don't think that the the sanctification process is a process by which you just are feeling holier. It may indeed be a process where you feel less holy, but you will acutely sense your sin. You will be convicted of your sin. You will find yourself repenting of sin. You will long for, desire, treasure, indeed rejoice in Jesus more and more every day. For he alone is the ground of your salvation. He is your only hope. That's the second thing I want you to see. You are going to find this joy in gaining everything you now need, both justification, sanctification, And thanks be to God, there is one final, third and final great gift we'll get from Jesus one day, and that is glorification, which we see in verse 11. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is this resurrection from the dead of which he speaks? It is that great day where upon either our death or when he comes at the second coming and gathers us back, we will stand before him with resurrected bodies. 
we will be glorified in a perfect state, experiencing the paradise and glory that he designed for us in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis 1 through 3. The point is simply this. We will one day experience full, final happiness, joy, fulfillment, glory in heaven for eternity. That is what the Bible describes as the state of glorification. All that you long for in this world will one day be fulfilled in heaven, in the presence of Jesus. And so take heart, my friends, to know Christ is to treasure him, to rejoice in him. It is to find the joy in knowing that you're losing everything. And that's a good thing. It's the joy of knowing that you are gaining everything in return. So just turn your eyes upon him. Look full in his wonderful face. All the things of this world, they're going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. You are going to, as you grow to know Jesus, all the more see all the things of this world as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That surpassing worth is this, gaining everything you need. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, I ask that you would seal this word to your people's hearts. To my heart, I pray. Oh, may I find joy in knowing you. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.